How many watched the weather and prayed that we would have a one o'clock service today? Fess up, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was on my knees last night and God just said, no sorry, you're not getting what you want on this one. Yeah, we are spiritual people around here. Um, I, I hope that if you have not done so already, if you have several Valley View people, members on your Facebook, you get a chance to go look at all those beautiful pictures of the daughters and the dads from last night. I just have to say a, 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 a shout out to Charlotte for the incredible work she and her mom and Evie did in preparing that room in there and preparing that entire event. It was amazing to watch last night uh, just in pictures as people were getting ready and they'd put them on Facebook. It was beautiful. It's one of the best things uh, that's done out of this building all year long and, and I know it's going to embarrass Charlotte to death but I'd, I'd have her stand up and we'd give her a hand but uh, I, I'm not going to do that because I have to work with her uh, during the week but um, it was, it's an amazing occasion and, and sometimes maybe when you think about on an annual visit, annual event, you might... Uh, underestimate the significance, but just take a look at Facebook. You'll be convinced of it. It's a wonderful thing. Ladies' Day is Saturday, and men be here at 8 on Saturday to help these ladies uh, to have a good breakfast, and then we clean up after them. We get ready for lunch, and then clean up after that, and, and we just make sure they have a great time. So ladies, be here on Saturday. Uh, I think it starts at actually 9. Is that correct? I need an acknowledgement from the ladies, yes. But men, if we could be here sometime around 8, we can get everything set up and, and everything goes smooth sailing. So uh, that's a great event. And then the next day, we're having some special stuff. Children's Home is going to give us a report on what they're doing, but also there's going to be a potluck for those who want to hear about foster care. I don't know if you saw the video. We'll show it again at another time before, before next Sunday morning uh, to, to see that, or on the next Sunday morning, to see that foster care. If you're, into, if you're into wanting to know about that, just a curiosity, just for your own information, for anybody who might ever ask you, uh, the Children's Home does work foster care in this area constantly looking for people for that. And so uh, the potluck next Sunday is for those who want to know more about that. If you want to come to that, please sign up. Potluck committee number one is going to help with that. Uh, and, and I just want to urge you to do that. But also next Sunday morning, we're going to have our own kids up here. And we're going to have for those three and below, we're going to do something just to recognize them and, and declare and announce ourselves emphatically to be a child-friendly church, a child-loving church. We're going to have a special prayer for our kids. That's next Sunday morning, so be here for that as well. Um, yesterday was Bill Berry's birthday. Say that real fast. Bill Berry's birthday. And so tonight, as celebration of that, we're going to meet afterwards. Not a big meal because I'm, I'm, you'll go out and you'll eat somewhere. We're just going to have the dessert. We're going to have some peach cobbler, but here's his favorite dessert. Now, try not to grimace at this because there's nobody on earth I've ever heard them say this was their favorite dessert, but you're going to have to try it tonight. So there's being made enough for us to try a little raisin pie. Now, I've seen rhubarb pie, and I didn't like it either, but raisin pie doesn't sound right. The texture doesn't sound right, but that's Bill Berry for you. So, celebrating 93 years, our oldest active member, we're going to meet afterwards, and we're just going to have a celebration and remember him and reflect on him, and, and, and then plan for his funeral in 25 years from now, he said, unless a jealous husband kills him before then, he says. Anyway... 
just quoting. I loved AJ. AJ's back there, and here's, here's what she said a couple weeks ago. Her mom says she loves it when you get up to preach. Man, I felt so proud about that. I was, you know, she says, because she knows when you get up there, it's snack time for her. <laughs> After we sing Jesus Loves Me, you ready? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's good, and you'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12. <laughs> I love it. When the unclean spirit, weird story. Listen, this is a story where it has no, end, uh, no beginning. We're dropped in the middle of this story because we don't know where this guy came from or how the Spirit got there or how the Spirit was cast out. So we're thrown in the middle of this story, and it goes like this. When the unclean spirit was gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. I want to go through this story and look at the three characters in it. First of all, I want you to know about unclean spirits which is the source of all evil, right? Uh, unclean spirits are like squatters. They don't belong there. They just invade the territory and make themselves feel at home and they become very possessive of it. This is where they stake their flag and say, this is us. They get on their GPS and they label it home. This is where they want to stay. Evil wants to take up residence in your life. Satan wants to take up residence in your life. And they don't want to ever leave. And if you ever get them to leave, their greatest desire will be for them to return. If you are ever home to sin and evil in your life, you will forever be susceptible to its return. Because the only thing they like more than possessing you is repossessing you. And you evict them and they take it personally and they go out and find friends and they come back. And they want to find a home there again. Evil is like that in our lives. It operates like that. A sin addict, which is every human being is a sin addict. If you recall, when you, when you hear about addictions like alcoholism, how long after they quit drinking are they still susceptible to falling back? Forever. A sin addict is the same way. You know how susceptible you are to going back into a life of sin? You know when you're immune from it? Never. You will forever be uh, susceptible to it coming back. Here's some things, here's some scriptures I want to show you. From James chapter, what is that, 4 verse 7? Yes. Submit yourselves then to the Lord, right? And the devil will flee from you. The idea of this is can you get the devil to run away from you? Is it possible to get evil to run away? Yes, it is. As you submit to God, there are times when you're really drawn to doing something you shouldn't. You really are tempted by it, but you instead, you do the will of God, you submit to it, and you can make the devil run. But here's the bad news. He never goes far, and he never stays away long. He's always there just beyond the perimeters of your property, wanting to find a way to come back. The way, Jesus, or the way the New Testament describes this is he's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's never far away. He doesn't stay away long. 
Even when that time when Jesus goes against Satan in the wilderness and you think he defeated Satan and Satan goes away forever. That's not what the text says. It says he went away from Jesus and was looking for a more opportune time to come back. You are never free from his presence in your life and his desire to overtake you. The opportune time is Satan looking for the best time of your weakness. He's looking for a strategic time to come back. He's not just constantly there just hammering you. He knows there's some times where you're safe, but he knows that there are some perfect times in your life, times when you're tired, times when you're stressed or frustrated or angry. He sees that armor that you're wearing and he sees some spots in that armor where you're weak and he looks for an opportune time. And he is so dogged. It takes a great determination as a believer to keep Satan at bay. You need some anti-devil tactics. A-D-T. Get that? A-D-T. Ruin that one, scratch that, forget that next time. The idea is you've got to be prepared because he is there incessantly coming after you. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. This is a creepy verse, but you need to know it. If after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state becomes worse than the first. When a person comes to a knowledge of the truth, they know... And then they fall away. Their last state is worse than the first. Some versions say it's better off never to have responded to the truth than to have responded and fallen away. Satan is just incessant. The evil spirit has this desire to come back. But here's the second character, the homeowner in the story. The house, you know, stands for you. It stands for a person. And this person somehow is freed from the demon. The demon is cast out. He's evicted from the house. And the man walks in there and he's with great joy and great rejoicing and satisfaction. He sweeps that house clean. He absolutely does a total makeover, right? He takes all the paraphernalia of evil, all the evidence of that spirit's uh, presence there, and he wipes it out. Anything that did not spark the Lord's joy is cast out. Did anybody get that one? Sparks the uh, Early service didn't either. Scratch that one. That, that needs to go. Anything that doesn't attribute to the joy of his life and being right with God, he cast out of that house. It's great. But he doesn't put anything in there. He doesn't move in. He doesn't make any adjustments at all to what goes on there. He just leaves it clean and empty. And I'm going to use the same image Jesus uses. You ever notice how much easier it is to get your house clean than it is to keep it clean? Has anybody notice this? I mean, I remember when Melissa was a stay-at-home mom, right? She didn't teach. She taught, brought the, and I, I got to thinking we, we would on, take a Saturday and we would, we would wear ourselves out, dusting the whole place, vacuuming the whole place. It looked great. We'd sit down to pizza and a movie and think, this is chaos-free house. Every stitch of clothing is where it needs to be, every dish. But by Tuesday, that was a distant memory. The next Saturday, we had to do it again. And I began to think... What is wrong with this picture? It's so hard to get it to get. Why can't we keep it? Just, just do the daily little stuff that keeps it that way. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to maintain that on a regular basis. And that's what this story is about. 
It's a whole lot easier getting the house clean than keeping it clean. Here's the thing. When you become a believer and God, by your own, admission, by your own invitation, comes into your house and breaks the, the hold of evil on you, He sweeps your house clean, and then, and then He looks to guide your whole life that way. But listen, the thing is this. Satan is not all that working all that hard on you before you become a believer. He's not working on you much. He already has you. So he's just kind of casual with his temptation of your life to keep you away from the Christian faith. But when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you become a person who bow your foot to the bow your knee to Jesus and you become a Christian, you declare war on Satan, you change allegiance, and then he realizes this is serious business and he dispatches a whole unit of demons on you because he wants you back. Now you're the enemy. It's not going to be easy. Becoming a Christian, the easiest day of your Christian life is your baptism. And it gets harder every day after that because it's day in and day out trying to live the Christian faith. And he's not going to go without a fight. He's not going to leave you alone. He's now going to try to trip you up. And you stand up before a group of people and you say, I'm going to try to live my life free of sin. But day in and day out, here it comes. You see the drug abuser who struggles with addiction to a drug of some kind. And he fights like crazy because there's this inner desire to have it and there's this inner need for it. He's made himself addicted to it and he tries to break the hold of it. And he does one of these programs, maybe a John 3.16 or something. And the thing is, he goes to this residence where these people are struggling with the same thing and there's a strict regimen. And he goes for six months to a year. And he's got this great support. And then guess what? He goes home. He goes home to the same place he left behind with the same people that are there. And soon after a year of hard work is reversed in five minutes when he goes home and he can't take it and he goes right back to that drug again. If you don't replace it, you will go back to what you had before. You know this too with girls who date these guys who are unbelievers who are bad for them, who don't treat them like they should be treated. And you as a family member of this one appeal to her, listen, he's not treating you, he's not good for you, and she knows it, but she, it's comfortable, it's familiar, I'm used to it, I've, I've, I've grown to accept this as part of my life, and finally she gets the nerve to kick the old boy on his tail. Day one, day two, day three, by day four he's back. She's patched it up, and why? Is he suddenly turned to become a good guy? No. She can't break that familiar, comfortable hold in her life. She doesn't have anything to fill it with, and so it's better to be comfortable and familiar than it is to have this horrendously loud vacuum in my life. And so here's the principle, ready? The boomerang law of familiar sin. If you remove it, but you don't replace it, it will return. If you remove it, but you do not replace it, it will return. That drug abuser has to have something else to medicate him. That, that, per, that girl dating that guy has to put something in that void to, to span the gap. And I'll tell you what that is most often. And there's nobody who can make this easy. When you become a believer, you've got to change friends. Those people who were an influence on you that drew you away, you've got to find people who draw you too. But it's, never, it's not going to be comfortable, especially when you first start this way. When you first become a Christian, you say, I've got to find new friends to encourage me this way. It's not going to happen fast. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar for a while. It's going to be hard work for you because you're changing things. And when you're depending on this, this substance 
to medicate you, and suddenly you've got to rely on prayer and the fellowship of the church and the worship. This is not going to be an easy substitute. Switching from Coke to Diet Coke is never easy. And switching from something that wasn't real but it filled a vacuum to something that is, that's the hardest work of your life, and it's not easy. And I can't tell you this. I can't tell you. When you come to church, you'll find those friends that will be the greatest friends of your life in the first few days that you're here that will replace your old friends because you know what? It's not going to be good enough for a long time, and you're going to have to let it be good enough. Nobody can make that easy. Nobody can make that a simple process. So you know what happens to this character. That evil spirit goes out and he gets a bunch of friends together and he plans a coup attempt. I'm getting my home back, he thinks. I'm going to go back. And they've been, they've been looking at the house and they said, sure enough, this looks like it's in order. It looks like this house is clean and in order and this guy's serious about getting his life right. It looks like it, so I'm going to have to get some friends. And he gets five or six or seven friends together and says, you know what, this is going to be a hostile takeover. We've got to break in on the inside of that house and we've got to take him on and we've got to fight him on the inside to get this house back. But what's interesting is when the spirits break in the house and they expect this altercation, they find that there's nothing there. It's swept clean, but there's nothing there. Nothing's changed, really, at all. It just looks that way. And because of that, they move right on in. And that guy's much worse than he was in the first place. What in the world happened to this guy? What makes this happen, and what are we supposed to learn from this? Jesus tells what the moral of the story is when he says this. This is how it's going to be with this evil generation. Now, early in chapter 12, he cast a demon out of a guy. And the Pharisee said, ah, you did this by the power of evil. And Jesus goes into that debate and all that. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus was demonstrating. He said, I did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've brought the Holy Spirit into the world, and I'm breaking the hold of evil for you. And you guys are enjoying the spectacle of it, but you're not wanting me to stay very long. You want me to give you your freedom, but you don't want me to reorient your life. You, this is a generation that's not responding to God at all. You're not letting the Spirit stay in your life and change your life. That's what this evil spirit's like, or evil generation's like, and he would say the same about us. What should this guy have done? What did this guy do wrong that kept him from being able to live in the freedom that he had had when the house got clean? I'm going to give you some, some possibilities. I don't know. Maybe this guy thought once saved, always saved. Maybe he thought God's only interested in me turning the house over to him. And so I'm going to let God come in. I'm going to let him save me. Yeehaw, I'm going to have a celebration about my baptism. And I've turned my life over to God. And we're all going to celebrate and have a good time. And all God's interested is in, is in saving me. He just wants to save me. That's all he wants to do. And so I'm going to let him save me. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I did before. The man was busy doing other stuff, and then he gives his life to God, and God cleans up the house, and then when he gets the house clean, the guy goes back to doing what he did in the first place. He doesn't change anything about himself. He doesn't change any of his habits or his behaviors. He does the same things he did before. Because after all, once you're saved, you're always saved, so let me just go back and do what I did before, and the only difference is I'll be a saved person. That's a misunderstanding of what baptism is for. Give me this verse from Acts chapter 2, verse 38 that you know very well. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. 
the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We do a good job of saying to people, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to be baptized so that you can access God's power to purge you of your sin. But there's a whole other element to this baptism that we need to teach too. It also grants you the power to break temptation and sin's hold in the future. It's called the Holy Spirit. He moves the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer to help him transform his life. His past sins are forgiven. His future sins are prevented. They're prevented because with the Spirit's help, you can rid yourself of that sin by the Spirit's help. This guy wanted baptism to have his sins washed away. He had no interest in letting that spirit stay in him and, and keep a clean life. Baptism is not just about getting you in the kingdom. Baptism is about keeping you in the kingdom. It's about giving you the power to take hold of your life and get rid of sin. It is like a living Bob Vila. Okay. That's not going to work for the younger people, but you older people know. It is like a live-in Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's like you have an expert on keeping your house in order, living inside of you, pointing out the spots that need to be changed and helping you change them. Anybody who's ever built a house or worked on a remodeling knows that you go to Lowe's about every day, three or four times. And you think, as soon as this remodel is over, my trips to Lowe's are over. Your trips to Lowe's are never over. Anybody figured that one out yet? Ace is just around the corner from me, and I, they, get, they send me coupons all the time. And the reason they send me coupons all the time is because I'm there all the time. There's always this or that thing going wrong, and you've got to fix it while it goes wrong. And what God does is when you are baptized, not only does he forgive you of past sins, but he puts himself in you and shows you all those areas how to let him take charge of those and keep you clean. It's an amazing thing. Don't fall for the idea that all God's interested in is your salvation. He's interested in your transformation. He's interested in you becoming just like Jesus. He's interested in using you to reach the world, not just to bask in the glory of your salvation. He wants both, and baptism is for both. That may be one reason. Here's another reason. Maybe the guy felt like all he needed was that initial cleansing. Maybe all he needed was to get caught up. Let God pay my debt, and then I'll pay my way from here on out. Let me take God's grace to get me clean, and then my works will keep me clean. I, and the Galatians felt this way. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to reach perfection by the flesh? This is a legalism that sounds like this. God, by His grace, saved me, but be my, my works are keeping me saved. I come to church to stay saved. I do good works to stay saved. I become a nice guy to work my way to the salvation at the end. I want to tell you this. From first to last, Romans says, Romans chapter 1, the power of God is in the gospel, and it saves you by faith from first to last. The day you're saved is by grace of God, and the day you die and are saved in finality is only by the grace of God too. Your works factored nothing into your salvation as far as gaining it. Nothing. Too many people will accept God's grace here, 
And then they're going to work their way the rest of the way. I'm going to make, I'm going to pay my own way. So uh, I decided, um, did a funeral Monday for Gene Lewis. And I, I, I got to thinking uh, about writing my own funeral. I've decided the only one who can do my funeral is me. So I'm going to make a video. And there's going to be a beautiful video at my funeral. I'm hoping to be cremated, so maybe it'll be just a memorial service. And um, hopefully none of you will be there. You'll all be dead by then. But anyway, so uh, I got to thinking about what I once said. And here's, what, here's the main thing I once said, is that I'm going, to say to, I'm going to say that guy right there, or actually there's nobody there, so I'm going to say those ashes right there, that was me. And, and I'm going to tell you, don't worry about me, because I'm, I'm going to be with God. And I know that because of this, because there was a day I trusted him because of what Jesus did in his perfect work. And the day I died, the reason I'm going to go to heaven is because of Jesus and his perfect work. Don't start talking if they have you chances to speak. And I, there's going to be a lot of people wanting to do that. Uh, but it, if you do, don't get up and say because he went to church or because he preached good sermons. He had five good sermons in his life. Or, or he put people asleep in Jesus. Or don't say anything like that. Don't say all that stuff because I'm going to tell you this. I did nothing to get me to heaven. Nothing. And when you're looking for evidence and when you're burying a loved one and you're looking for things to make you feel confident that they're okay, listen to me, none of all the good stuff you can say got them there. One thing got them there, the perfect work of Jesus. That's it. The rest of that stuff was a response and gratitude to keep the house clean and glorifying God. None of it was to earn it. None of it. And you've got to look at it that way or church will become burdensome. If church becomes burdensome to you, it's because you feel like you've got to do it to pay it off. It will not become burdensome to you if you're doing it because you want to keep that house clean and glorify God and because he's already saved you. Then it will not be burdensome. I'm telling you, how you view it matters. And I think maybe this guy thought, you know what, I just need God to get me clean. I'll do the rest. No, you won't. You take all the collective goodness of every person in here and you put it together, it doesn't save one of us for one hour. It doesn't. If you're depending on your goodness, you're going to have a trip like this. And it's going to take you nowhere. There's a third reason maybe that this guy messed up, and it's this. Maybe he confused moral reform and holiness. We sometimes think the Christian life is just about living a good life and it looking good and appearing because this house looked really good. Everybody went by the house. Oh, boy, he's got his life back. Look at that house all together. But here's the thing. On the inside, it was rotten. And this, Satan didn't take over from the outside. The evil spirits came back from within. It's the inner man where Satan will work and he'll grab hold of something in your inner man and he will take hold of it and he will destroy you from within. And it's years before people know. There can be people who look so good on the outside and it's years before people realized he was rotting away, but he looked okay on the outside. The Pharisees had this down. Jesus said, you guys look so good on the outside, but on the inside, you're like dead men's bones. Your inside's rotten. And listen, God is not concerned as much about your outside as he is about the inside. And too many of us are painting up the outside real good and the inside is rotting to hell. It's, he's not looking to clean up your life. 
It's called therapeutic moral deism. He's not looking to make you a good citizen and win a good citizen award or citizen of Jonesboro of the Year award. That's not what he's after. He's looking for Christ-likeness on your inner man. And this guy thought, (coughs) my house looks good. My house looks good. The heart's terrible, but the house looks good. That's not what Jesus is after. Often we describe the Christian as the person and all he doesn't do. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't date the girls who do. I, I don't do this, I don't do that. I don't. Tell me what you stand for. Tell me who you are on the inside. His target is the heart, and anything less than that is not enough. What's going on on the inside of your house? Because you see, all I see is the outside, unless you want to reveal the inside for some reason. How do you do this? What could this man have done? And here's how the story should have gone. He swept his house clean. The only thing that can clean the evil spirit out of you is the Holy Spirit. That's why when you become a Christian, he cleanses you by that washing, and then he places the Holy Spirit in you to drive out that evil spirit. But you've got to let the Holy Spirit stay and have a say. You invite him in to clean your house, and you keep it clean. And you give him ample room to work, and you let him lead you to the proper relationships. Too many people come to the Christian faith, they don't change anything about themselves, and everything goes back to the way it was. So in our family, what we like to do is, I mean, we're just kind of, you know, at 6 o'clock, by the time we're all together, they're coming in from Kennett, and I'm coming in from here, and all that stuff, and we get together, we eat, we watch a, a show on, 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 on Netflix, usually. And that's a, that's a valuable time, it's just like downtime, and then after that we can do some other things. But right there, that's kind of a reconnect time, we don't have to talk, we just kind of look like, you know. But I began to watch, we started taking on Friends, the show Friends, which I remember being funny and all that stuff. But all of a sudden, as we were watching this show, there started being more themes in there that were not very wholesome. And I'm sitting here, there's Abby, and here's Melissa, and there's me. And this one particular episode, after two or three in a row where there's some allusions to this, they talk about the healthy good role of pornography in improving your marriage. It's an open discussion. Open discussion. And it made me just kind of go, what in the world? And they didn't feel comfortable either. We turned it off. But here's the thing. When you turn that off, there's a void now. What do you do with that hour you started looking forward to? What do you replace it with? You've got to put something in there. It's great to get rid of things and serving God and you identify some things you need to get rid of, but what do you replace it with? The man replaced it with nothing. He left this void in this vacuum and it was just perfect for Satan to come right back and something familiar and comfortable to replace it. What do you replace it with? So this morning... Maybe there's someone who realizes sins in their life and they want to get it out. That's great to have God wash that away. But what are you going to replace it with? What's going to go in that spot? The Holy Spirit wants to go in there not just to clean your life up, but to take up residence and guide you for the rest of your life. And maybe there's somebody who's done all this. You've responded to God before, and you've, you've said, God, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to live for you, but for whatever reason, suddenly, suddenly you, you kind of vacated the house a little bit, and you let some stuff come in that doesn't belong. You just let it sit there, and you've not addressed it. Now you're just like, my eyes are wide open. I realize I've got to get rid of this. What are you prepared to replace it with? 
Maybe this morning you need help with one of those. Maybe you need to change ownership of the house. Or maybe you have and you've just let somebody who doesn't belong there live there for a while. This morning, maybe you need to do something to remove sin and replace it with something else so that it doesn't return. And this morning, we stand ready as a group of people who understand exactly what you're having to do. We're urging you to do that as you need to. And if you need a public response, now's a good time to do it as we stand and as we sing.